There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. You can't love your country only when you win. President Joseph Robinette Biden uh, appealing to all Americans, regardless of party, uh, in a call for unity, in a call for the acceptance of election results, saying the violence that we saw, including the violence against Paul Pelosi, was the product of lies, lies that we have to fight with the truth. Uh, I'm going to bring back in my panel in just a moment, but first let me bring in Congressman Jamie Raskin. And Congressman, why do you think that the president chose to give a speech like this? which really was a plaintive call for Americans essentially to stand down um, and to stand up to the lies that we've seen about the previous election and apparently uh, anticipating the potential that Republicans won't accept the results of this one. Why do you think he did that today? Well, hello, Joy. It was a, a beautiful and heartfelt speech. I think that the president uh, understands the enormous magnitude of the threats we're facing uh, as a democratic society, as political violence um, continues to spiral in unpredictable and dangerous ways, and we don't have a clear-throated denunciation and renunciation of political violence by both of our major political parties and by um, all political figures. On the contrary, it seems like you know, even an episode as egregious as the attack on the Pelosi family could then become, you know, the, the source of, um, you know, ironic commentary and humor and derisive, um, trivializing statements by politicians. And so I think the president is really alarmed about what's going on. And, uh, you know, I'm glad he made that speech. I, I wish that he had put it somewhat more in a global context because democracy is under siege all over the world. And we know that the forces that are undermining elections in America and attacking basic democratic institutions and values here are in league with autocrats and kleptocrats and theocrats abroad. And so the problem in some sense is even bigger than the president suggested here. Right. And, you know, in the context that you just gave, that there is an international context to the threats to democracy, is it, 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 is, it seems to me to be a problem that the only person who felt the need to give a national address to call upon Americans to do something that seems pretty basic, to accept the results of elections, but it's only coming from the leader of the party that already does accept elections. Right. That already does accept the results of yes. uh, when they lose. Hillary Clinton did that already. You know, President Obama called Donald Trump when he became his successor. He, he even said he wasn't happy about it, but he did it. So do you see the, the problem being that there isn't anyone on the Republican side saying similar things. I think Mike Pence did a tweet, but there's no one with any moral gravitas or any, um, you know, who can compel the other side who's saying anything like this. Well, I think that's why Joe Biden wanted to speak this evening. Um, 
not as the head of the Democratic Party, but rather as the president of the nation and the leader of the executive branch. And I think he struck the right tone for that. Um, you know, I think that as a as a Democrat with a big D, you know, I would be talking about the fact also that democracy is not just a set of static institutions, but it's always a work in progress. It's unfinished. And so there are things in motion. You know, we've got 713,000 taxpaying draftable citizens in Washington, D.C., where the president was speaking, who are the only residents of a national capital on earth who are not represented in their own Congress. We've got three and a half million Americans in Puerto Rico who are seeking their statehood. So we need statehood admissions. We need a constitutional amendment guaranteeing the right to vote. We need to get rid of gerrymandering. So, you know, I would try to invoke um, in a more partisan political sense, the spirit of John Dewey, who said that the only solution to the ills of democracy is more democracy. And what we're suffering from today is all of the impediments and obstacles to democracy, the voter suppression tactics, the gerrymandering of our federal and state districts, the use of the filibuster to shut down voting rights legislation like the We the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and all the right wing judicial activism that's undercutting the freedoms of the people. But I, the reason I liked the speech we just saw, Joy, was because Joe Biden was trying to strike that tone as the leader of the whole country. And well, he should, because uh, as you're saying, there's nobody really attempting to do that on the other side. And so he needs to be speaking for all of America at this point. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, since I have you here and you are a member of the January 6th committee, when, when, when you all come out with your report, that is going to be about only the second time our capital has ever been attacked. The other time it was by the British, not even by a fellow Americans. The ransacking of the capital for the purposes of denying the results of an election for the very thing that the president spoke about tonight. Are you concerned that we are at a point now where there's nothing you could put in that report? that is going to convince the third or whatever percentage of the country, the president says it's a minority of the other party, but it sure does seem like a very large plurality of the other party, that they will accept and take in as evidence that they ought to correct course. Because this is not a two-party problem. This is a one-party problem. And you've got a couple of Republicans on your committee, but it's not even clear that Republicans will listen to them. So are you concerned that there's nothing that your committee can do or say that would be enough evidence to get those who have a an interest, a political interest, a financial interest or whatever interest in maintaining the big lie to stand down? Well, look, our responsibility is to history and to the people and the Congress and not to the Democrats or the Republicans. And of course, there are millions of Americans who hate both political parties and are independents or Greens or Libertarians or something else. You know, when, when the president said that, you know, there are election deniers on the ballot, he's absolutely right about that. And it's hard to think of anything more dangerous than putting an election denier in charge of an election. It's like putting, you know, a mob boss in charge of the police or uh, an arsonist as the fire chief for the town. I mean, that just doesn't work. And so I'm glad that message got through. That's not a partisan message. It goes across the spectrum. If somebody is willing to deny the clear results of an election, they shouldn't be running an election. And, you know, when the, the president said that, you know, people shouldn't be denying elections when it's clear who's won, 
I mean, I'd be willing even to grant, okay, you don't accept the election as it comes down from the administrative authorities, the election officials. But if you've had a challenge in court and the courts have rejected every allegation of electoral fraud and corruption, as more than 60 courts did with respect to Donald Trump's big lie about the 2020 election, then in a democratic society, you've got to accept that. What else can you do? Um, you know, you really are positioning yourself outside of the constitutional order and the rule of law if you continue to try to claim that you somehow won. And it's also obviously a psychological malady, too, because you are just cutting up against uh, everything we understand about uh, healthy mental functioning. Um, there's no basis for what they're saying. And so they're spreading paranoia in the land. Yeah. And it's incredibly dangerous, as we just saw for uh, Mr. Pelosi on uh, what happened to him. Congressman Jamie Raskin, thank you very much, sir. We really appreciate your time tonight. Um, and back with Great. me, I want to thank you. I want to bring back in my panel, MSNBC host and former White House press secretary Jen Psaki, David Pluff, MSNBC political analyst and a former Obama White House senior advisor. Thank you both for being here. I do want to go to you, David, because um, there was a point that the congressman just made that I do want to ask you about. Um, we know that when President Biden is doing anything in public, he is Bidening. And what I define Bidening as is he's doing bipartisan things. It's what he does. It's innate in him. He is. It's very hard, I think, for him to be very hard charging political. But he has been over the past, you know, really since this summer. He's talked about the MAGA movement very pointedly. He's named them and named them as what's endangering our republic. Are you surprised that he didn't do that tonight? You know, we're so close to the election. But the message that he was giving was to essentially give a lot of grace to the Republican Party and say, I know this is not the majority of the party. And to say that we need to come together, we need to unify around these ideas. America is an idea. This was a call for unity. Were you surprised that he didn't make some of the points that you heard Congressman Raskin make that, look, if you want to be able to empower the people in D.C. who don't have a vote, you need Democrats to win. If you want, you know, to be able to give women the rights over their own bodies, you need Democrats to win. Are you surprised that wasn't in his speech? No, because I think he's actually trying to have an effect on the election. So, first of all, it's not lost on anybody who either watches the speech or sees the coverage uh, who's on each side of this question. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of Republicans, not all Republicans. I mean, just yesterday, Joy. The candidate for governor in Wisconsin, Tim Nichols, the Republican candidate, said, if I win this election, Republicans will never lose another election in Wisconsin. Captures the threat as well as anything anyone's ever said. So I think what what the, the message the president was trying to, I think, send today was if you're a Republican or if you're a Republican leaning independent, help us save democracy. And you're not going to probably be effective in asking them to do that. If you absolutely uh, torpedo, uh, you know, the other party. So I think what he's saying is let's make common cause safe democracy. Then we can get back to fighting about tax rates and how yeah. we pay for health care and all the things that have been part of our country's history. So I, I think it was a smart approach and that's what we need. Uh, and it, it greatly concerns me that you have some large tens of millions of Republicans and Republican leading independents who actually believe the winner of elections should win them who doesn't agree with the big lie, but most of them seem intent on supporting election deniers. Uh, and that concerns me as a citizen because we are not gonna be safe until enough Republicans make common cause with Democrats and then ultimately nominate Republicans who are not a threat to democracy in their primaries. 
Yeah, and on that on that note, this is a good time to bring in political analyst Matthew Dowd. He's back. He's the chief. He was the chief strategist of the Bush Cheney 2004 presidential campaign, a campaign I remember well, Matthew, because I was working in campaign politics. I had left the news business, and I can remember that loss, your victory, your campaign's victory, being incredibly painful. I am being in a room with people who had worked their hearts out, who had thrown everything, given all they had uh, in the belief that George W. Bush should not be the president of the United States any longer. Many of us were very deeply opposed to the war in Iraq. It was the reason that I got involved in the first place. But in the end, what we had to all do was to accept that he was going to be the president of the of the United States for four more years. There was no one around me, as many tears as you saw in those in those rooms, saying, I'm just going to pretend he's a hologram and that he's not the real president and that there were, you know, children buried in the in the in the, you know, in the White House. And the thing is, the challenge here is that it is a Republican problem. And at some point, someone who is a Republican um, or who is who still has standing with them has got to call them off because it's getting worse and worse. As you just said, as David Pluck just said, they're saying that they will ensure that they never lose again. They will ensure their base that they always win. That's not democracy. That's dictatorship. Yeah. And, and the ones, the Republicans that have stood up in their primaries, almost every single one of them have lost. Liz That's Cheney right. being point evidence. And so the only the only accountability left since the Republican Party refuses to hold their own members accountable or put any guardrails on this at all, as, as the president described, is the general election, is the general election, which is a very dicey affair because we're a country that is very polarized, that is very not only demographically polarized, but geographically polarized. And it puts it in, us in a situation where that's the last thing left. I don't think this is going to move Republicans. And I don't think that was the president's goal at all mm -hmm. in this. I think this speech, one, was something from his heart that he, you know, from, from believes completely. I've actually, listening to his speech, I was thinking about the transition the president has made in the last two years, because I think he was very, in the initial phases, had this idea of, I'm going to work with the Republicans. There's a bunch of good Republicans. I'll work with them. It's all fine. Democracy's safe. We got it. Everything's fine. That's how he sort of operated for a while. And then it took him a while to get to this speech, it, mm -hmm. it understanding reality and seeing, oh, my gosh, there isn't a Republican Party that's sane in this country today in the midst of this. But again, this is on the voters right now. This is on the voters. I can blame candidates and campaigns and all of that. And I think many of them should have run better campaigns in the midst of this and had a more disciplined message in this on this message that the president just elicited tonight. But it's up to the voters. 120 million plus will vote in total by November 8th. That's my guess. And it's really up to them because, as the president said, and I firmly believe this, we're on a knife's edge. And Trump and his supporters, like Michael Ludig said, the, the conservative Republican judge said, are a clear and present danger to the United States of America. And this is a great time to bring you back in, Jen, because, you know, you worked as press secretary and you had to face off with some of the right wing media. So you understand full well the incentive structure that's built in on the right for the media that serves that public 
is to never accept what Joe Biden says, right? Is to never accept an election. I mean, on one of the other channels there, they're already saying that Bolsonaro really won. That that election was stolen. It's Mm -hmm. a constant churning cycle that keeps a certain percentage of our population captive. And so they're never allowed out of the box of saying, if we don't win, if we don't guarantee that we win, then, you know, baby killing, you know, zombies are taking over the country. They've they've invented every kind of... um, description for Democrats as inhuman monsters so that they are incentivized. It's We shouldn't have any of us been surprised that some of them showed up at the Capitol on January 6, 2021, because they're being told 24-7 that the only way to save America is that they must rule. They must rule forever. They must never lose an election. And so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that, because the incentive structure in their media is to never allow President Biden to be the president of the whole United States. That's exactly right, Joy. And I think, you know, the president didn't talk a lot about the international side tonight, but he it struck me when he said it's more than about government. It's about it's a way of being a way of seeing the world. And he's somebody who sees this as an issue, as you touched on, Joy, around the world, authoritarianism versus democracy and what we need to preserve and protect. And when you look at, as you said, what you see some other networks doing or you see some crazy propaganda going on on social media right now, which I'm sure is happening happening. It's confusing. And it's the type of models you see in countries like Russia and China, where they're pushing uh, this confusing, authoritarian, one-sided view. And that is where we are headed. That is what the president is warning of and saying that if you if we do not make a choice, if people do not stand up next week and moving forward, that is what could potentially happen. I'll also say that while he's not trying to speak to the Republican Party, certainly not. He's been around politics long enough to know that's not smart to do. He is always a person who's going to try to offer a bridge to Republicans who may be sitting out there, who may be worried about inflation or taxes, or maybe they're pro-life, whatever their issues are, to say, this is a moment. This is a defining moment. And I think that is also part of what he was trying to convey tonight. You know, David, it strikes me that President Biden, in a different way from Donald Trump, is a nostalgia politician, right? That he, he definitely is very sincere in his belief that the American experiment, but for a few flaws, is sound, that it's solid, and that it can be brought back. He seems to believe anyone can be brought back in the fold, and he operates that way in a very gracious way. Um, it's not ever very rarely returned from the other side, but he does operate that way. Do you think, as somebody who's been in this game and, and done the political game uh, as, as long as, as, as any of us or any of, the, any of you guys that are on there, you guys are the experts, do you think that that kind of politics is even possible anymore? Or are we too far beyond the bend now that we could ever come back to a kind of politics where we just argue about tax cuts and whether what the tax code should look like and it's sort of normal? Or are we way past that in your view? Well, first of all, Joy, presidents are not political commentators or operatives. I mean, they've got a they've got a bigger responsibility. And I think basically whether you're talking about Biden, Obama, both Bushes, Reagan, Clinton, going all the way back, Trump is the outlier. Um, you know, we respected the rule of law. We respected institutions. Uh, when you lost an election, you conceded. <laughs> uh, and, and so I think a president has to speak to what the country's been. Uh, and what it needs to remain. Obviously, it's an imperfect union. Uh, but I think that the threat is so pronounced right now, Joy. I, listen, if we are a democracy on January 20th, 2025, 
My humble opinion is we will remain a democracy. I think that's very much an open question. Let's just look at what's happening now. So Matthew's a former pollster. He'll, he'll speak to this. Um, the Republicans may have a very good night next Tuesday. But what is being set up by some of these Republican polls, I'm sure some of them are done uh, to the letter of the industry. Others, I think, are garbage. But you see Fox and other networks basically setting up that the Republicans are heading for a landslide. Everything I'm seeing in early vote, the polling, suggests that Democrats very well uh, could have a decent night. We'll see. But if the Democrats do have a decent night, they're going to be screaming from the top of their lungs uh, that the election was stolen. And so what they've basically set up in this country is either Republicans win all the elections, as Michaels in Wisconsin said, or Democrats can only win an election where they win in a landslide. Uh, and so I think that is the danger here. Uh, and it's it's pumped in. Uh, through our phones and through people's computers and televisions nonstop. Uh, and so I think a president has to speak to these bigger issues. I don't think they can solely be a partisan warrior. So that's my answer, Joy, which is I'm not naively optimistic. All I'd say is if we are a democracy, January 20th, 2025, I think we will have escaped the worst. But I put that proposition, you know, 50-50. Uh, which is, you know, a hard thing to say in America, but that's where we are. I mean, the signs are all around us. I agree. Uh, we're gonna, I want to pick back up on this. I want to talk more about this exact thing. Uh, my panel is going to stay with me much more ahead on President Biden's speech tonight on protecting democracy. And the readout continues right after this quick break. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Make no mistake. Democracy is in the ballot for all of us. Disunion and chaos are not inevitable. My panel is back with me, Jen Psaki, Matthew Dowd, and David Pluff. Matthew, let me go to you on this real quick to pick up on the point that um, David made. I'm concerned about this, too. Are you concerned that the narrative that Republicans are putting out, and we we talked earlier in the week about how they're pushing out all of these polls, this sort of muddy up the averages, and sort of create this narrative of a red wave. If it doesn't happen, aren't we going to be in more danger of violence because they've created a narrative, and if it doesn't happen, they're going to say the whole election was stolen? But I'm concerned about two things that very much so, as David enunciated, who I have to just say out loud, David and Jen and I were on opposite sides, never hated each other, had great respect for each other. And now we're all on the same side, which I hope most Americans are. I'm concerned about that. They've set up this narrative. So if they lose, they're going to say all the polls showed us winning overwhelmingly. How did we lose? It must have been fixed. That's one. Right. And two, I'm continually uh, concerned 
not by you, but by some media coverage that treats this all as some game that has these forecasts like here's the odds of this and Republicans could win here and Democrats could win there. It's like a weather guy covering a hurricane and saying, oh, by the way, a hurricane's going to hit in three days. Good night. And not telling you what damage it's going to do, what you can do to prevent it. And the gamification of politics in this moment, not only gaming it through polls, which the right has done, but the media make treating this as some sort of game where it doesn't really matter if A or B wins. Oh, we'll go on about our lives. I hope what the president said tonight is that there is a serious chance that if this doesn't go well, we don't have democracy anymore. And the night, 15 minutes from now, the World Series is going to be on. Oh, by the way, go Phillies. And you know what's more American than baseball? Democracy. And that's what's on the line. Jen, you've talked to folks in the White House. Are they concerned about that very thing, that there might be violence, um, that there might be, you know, serious violence if this red wave that is being sort of, you know, sort of almost promised by some in the media doesn't happen? Is the White House prepared for that? And are they worried about it? Yeah. Joy, I think that's why the president uh, gave such a, a strong and uh, p part of that speech focused on what next week could look like, because he wants people, voters out there to hang in there and recognize that exactly what David said, exactly what Matthews just said could happen. I mean, this was our biggest fear going into 2016, ironically, because we thought Hillary Clinton would win and Donald Trump would challenge it. And this is a playbook that Republicans have used in the past. They have indicated they're going to use in the future. And when they say something, we should believe them. So the White House is worried about that. I think when the president's out there, what they also told me is that we can expect to hear these themes weaved through his remarks. But this is going to be a, an argument that will need to be made time and time and time again, not just up to the election, but leading up to 2024 as well. Yeah, let's let's we're going to keep the whole panel here. But I want to bring in uh, Patrick Gaspard, president of the Center for American Progress, former ambassador to South Africa and former White House political director during the Obama administration. And Patrick, always good to see you. And, and you're you're the expert in running these campaigns on the ground as well. You're a, an expert in doing that as well. I just want to give you a couple data points here. You've now had yeah. a judge order armed groups to get away from Arizona drop boxes and to stay at least 250 feet away because they were standing with AR-15s and other firearms watching drop boxes, intimidating people. In Florida, where I am right now, I was speaking with somebody who's working um, around in and around the campaigns here who said that African-Americans are literally expressing fear of going to vote, thinking even if they don't have any sort of arrest record, that they're going to be arrested, that they might be, that, that, you know, that people might have their home address because, you know, they registered to vote because these arrests of a few people who who had former felon felony you know records it's scaring people who don't even have a record that's where we are the voter intimidation is real are you con how concerned are you oh i i am so uh, violently uh, concerned uh, to, to put it bluntly uh, joy i think that if we're not vigilant uh, if we're not prosecutorial if people violate the uh, election laws in this cycle uh, then what happened on january 6th of uh, last year can look like a sunday in the park or a trial run uh, for 2024, which could be a good deal worse, not only in Washington, D.C., but across state capitals and each of the battleground states. So the president uh, was right uh, and bold in delivering this kind of an address, which isn't really about Election Day, but the day after the election. He channeled his inner uh, Philadelphia sports fan and told the American people to trust the process. Uh, and he made it clear, Joy, and this is what's important here, he made it clear that threats to election integrity 
aren't only about procedure, but they're about perception. Uh, and it's more important now, more important than ever, for elected officials across the country to commit to communicate clearly, orally, uh, and proactively that American elections are safe and secure well in advance of any erroneous claims so that we can pre-bunk them. It's, it's always important, but particularly at a moment when the social media platforms are rife with disinformation and now being governed by people like Elon Musk, who've made it clear following the, the horrific attack on Paul Pelosi, that they intend to have absolutely no guardrails whatsoever. Last point I'll make, Dory, last two points I'll make. Quickly, you said I've, I've worked on campaigns. I have. Uh, Plus and Saki and Matthew Dowd would tell you there isn't a single campaign professional or strategist who encouraged uh, President Biden to deliver that speech. Right. He didn't come out and talk about inflation or crime, all the issues that are top center in public polling. He talked about values. He talked about the future of this democracy. That's a bold statement by the president. I'm going to challenge the administration to continue to be bold in in, in this one regard. Uh, this week, ProPublica reported that the Department of Homeland Security has pulled back on efforts to protect election workers from online harassment after Republican attacks on the DHS disinformation board earlier this year. This is not a time for the federal government to be intimidated out of protecting workers like Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, who testified in front of that January 6th committee. We have to double down on democracy, as the president did with his words tonight. And we have to do that with administrative action from DOJ and from DHS. Uh, Let me ask you this question, because you have a a great global perspective. You're ambassador to South Africa, where after apartheid, um, the majority, the black majority fell in love with voting, lined up as long as they had to line up and said, this was our right. We, you know, fought and died for it. People fought and died for it. And they were just in love with the idea of voting in democracy. In your view, what's your opinion on how we can get Americans to to fall in that kind of love. I mean, when we get 60% turnout, it's a great year, right? It, it is hard to get that, and that's yep. only in presidential years. How can we get people to connect the idea of voting, mm. the idea of democracy, with the idea of your own personal empowerment and improving your own your life? Like, how can we get that message through? Great uh, question that widens, widens the aperture here, as you always do, Joy. And you love data points, so I'll bring in another one. The president said that uh, all American, most of the majority of Americans are uh, united uh, as we uh, on our perception of democracy. But we have to note that over 70% of Republicans right now are saying that the 2020 election was rigged and false. So we do have so much work to do. Uh, on your question of what we have to do to develop that affinity for democracy, this is not just a U.S. challenge. It is a global challenge. Uh, I think that people need to see the democracy dividend in their lives. We can't separate uh, outcomes in democracy integrity from outcomes in economic inclusion in all of our democracies in the global north, in the global south, uh, in the west, in developing countries uh, as well. Folks need to uh, see that the disparities in our lives are closing and everyone's got a chance to get to that starting line with an equal and fair opportunity to win the darn race. That's hugely important. The other piece here is, you know, I think that we have to take our politics uh, back to the space of values that uh, the president does uh, t- tonight. We have to lift common enterprise in our community uh, that is litigated through values and less around specific issues uh, that are kind of zero-sum game uh, in our electoral efforts. 
Patrick Gaspard, you're the best. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here uh, tonight. Thank you. Uh, let, my, my panel's back with me. David, uh, I do want to ask you sort of one sort of out, outro question on kind of the same idea. I mean, you, you, your former boss, uh, President Obama, was out there uh, doing his thing as only he can uh, in several states um, and doing it very well. He communicates these ideas very simply and very, you know, understandably. Is, it, how can Democrats do that better? I know he's one of a kind. But is there a way that Democrats can communicate these things in a way that actually might move some folks um, who are sort of eh about democracy right now? Well, first of all, I mean, I agree with Matthew. You can always run a better campaign. But in a tough environment, you know, Democrats still have a very good chance to hold on to the U.S. Senate, win major governor's races. So they're making a case. But it's just a reminder seeing him out there. It is so important to leave the, you know, Washington policy think tank speak uh behind <laughs> and just use real words and real language and vivid stories and values. You know, when he talked about Ron Johnson and Social Security, he talked about Johnson not seeing you, not knowing you. He just didn't say he wants to cut Social Security. Uh, and you've got to tell a story. Uh, and I think that's something that most good political communicators excel at. Um, and you can do it with humor. You can do it while even raising the stakes. Um, but I think that and, and listen, we have to understand as Democrats um, and this is true over the next six days, and it's certainly true in 2024. Battleground states, swing Senate states, swing uh, House races. Yes, you've got to turn out people like you've never turned them out. You simply cannot win elections as a Democrat unless you win the moderate centrist vote. And you've got to be able to do both uh, because we've got the deck stacks against us in terms of the Electoral College, in terms of the Senate. That is just a necessity. That is not an opinion. That is actually a fact. Uh, that is great advice. Hopefully they'll take it. Jen, I'm going to give you the last word here. Um, you recently worked for this White House. Um, do you think Biden is still optimistic about our democracy? He's very optimistic. But inside the White House, as they're thinking about it, are they making plans for if democracy starts going down after this election? Or is that planning underway? Absolutely, Joy, it has to be. But I think that's why he gave the speech. That's why you'll hear him talk more about it. And he's always going to be a defender of institutions and the rule of law and what our country has the potential to be. Yeah. He's Bidening all the time. Like He's the most optimistic person in the all world. All the time. He really is. I wish we could all Biden this way. Uh, Jen Psaki, Matthew Dowd, David Plump, thank y'all very much. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the news themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at msnbc.com. It's Monday night. It's Monday, everyone. Happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night.
much uh, before we go tonight. I do want to apologize to our friends in Orlando and everyone at the wonderful Ace Cafe. We were planning to do a readout roadshow tonight, but our plans changed because, you know, the POTUS said he was going to talk at 7 o'clock. So, you know, you got to take him. So we appreciate you guys and thank you. But fear not, the show will go on. I will be live tomorrow night from the Hall on the Yard in Orlando. So please come on out and see us. My guests will include Congresswoman Val Demings, who's challenging Senator Marco Rubio, former Governor Charlie Crist, who's trying to unseat Ron DeSantis. And that's it. That's tonight's readout. There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC.